For Cybercrime Radio, I'm Amanda Glasner, Deputy Editor at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today is Linda Young and Shelley Frost, two sisters who co-wrote the book, Her King the Con, How an Online Love Affair Led to Near Disaster. The book tells the story of how Linda was caught up in an online romance scam and how Shelley worked tirelessly not only to help her sister, but also to uncover the identity of the person behind the malicious scheme. Linda and Shelley, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on Cybercrime Radio. Thanks for having us, Amanda. We are we're very happy to be here. Thank you so much. The two of you have a complex story to share with us today, so I wanted to start from the beginning. Linda, would you tell us a little bit about how your online relationship began? So I got divorced after 24 years of marriage. And even though I did not have a great marriage, it was very difficult for me. I didn't think it would be, but it did, in fact, really affect me emotionally, especially with the loss of my family unit. But I forged on and I bought myself a house in a little coastal town in Northern California and thought that I was going to be just fine and move forward in life. But it turned out that I felt very lonely and I also felt financially kind of pressured. Like, how could I afford to stay in this house? I'm going to need to get married again. I really need to have somebody else in my life so that financially I could be stable and not just by myself. So my best friend, who had also gotten divorced around the same time, had gone online. And so I thought, well, gee whiz, I know a lot of people that have met their husbands, their current husbands and or special people by going online. So I decided to do that. So I signed up for an account. And that's how it all began. What was it that initially attracted you to this person? And as your relationship went on, what was it that kept you invested over time? So there's a lot of things that I've learned now through this experience. And one of the things that I learned is that I overshared on my profile. I put everything in this profile. And unfortunately for me, it gave the scammer and the people that he was with a lot of information that they could use. So what happened is that they're so good at what they do, they were able to get right into my kind of heart and what's important to me. And so that's what happened. I was very, very, very much groomed. This person had a beautiful voice on the phone. And of course, it all started at first through communicating through the app, and then it moved into texts, which is kind of a typical route when you're online dating. So it moved into texts and then moved into phone call and emails. So I was very lonely. And although I loved living in my coastal town, I had a really big job. So I was lonely and this person reaching out said all the right things to me and I was completely hooked. I'm so sorry to hear that this happened to you. And Shelly, if you could let us in on your point of view, as Linda's relationship developed, were you picking up on any warning signs? At what point did the alarm bells start going off? It took a while, actually, because as her older sister knowing the strife she went through with her marriage, by the way, I set her up with her ex-husband. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) I just really was excited for her. I wanted her to have a new relationship. I wanted her to be worshipped by some man who would take good care of her and she could take care of him because she is a nurturer. So it took a while because I was also in denial initially. But 
the red flags started coming up when he refused to have a FaceTime with her on the phone where they only spoke with each other and texted, but she never actually saw his face. She'd never actually looked in his eyes. And that's when I started really worrying, but still I was trying to believe in this because she believed in it so much. But we both share some very dear friends, some very dear girlfriends, and myself along with them started putting our heads together and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not looking good. And at that point, we thought we might have to do something. I have a sister as well, and I can only imagine slowly coming to this realization how alarming it must have been. It was alarming, exactly, because there was no talking to her about it. She would shut us down or she would get upset and change the topic of conversation, but she got very defensive and it became so unpleasant to even bring him up and to ask her questions about him. It was like walking on eggshells. Linda, I can imagine this must have been an alarming and uncomfortable experience for you to go through as well. When did you realize that you were being scammed? Well, honestly, I kind of knew all along. It wasn't something that all of a sudden one morning I woke up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not the right thing. But that's not what happens because I was kind of just groomed and then just on a little cloud trying to pretend like everything was okay. I mean, this was everything to me. Everything that we talked about was always about building the future, that we are building our financial well, he was working on building the financial piece of the whole thing so that we could buy a house for our families and our children and their children and our future and our garden. I mean, it was just a complete and total fantasy. And I bought into 100% even though I knew it wasn't right. And I knew that sending somebody money wasn't right. And in the beginning, I said that to him and I said, no, I'm not doing this. And so I went offline and I stopped contacting him. But he never got out of my head. And so like three weeks later, I reopened the door and contacted him. And at that point in my mind, I literally said to myself, okay, if you're contacting this guy, then you have to go all in. If he's asking you for money, then you got to do it because you're the one that's opening the door again and you know something's off here. But that is how much I had invested into this. I was so into the whole thing. I was so caught up in my own serotonin, my own levels, all of my feel-good feelings in my brain that would go off when the phone rang or a text came over and it was him to the point where I just threw everything out, all of the caution, all of my usual red flag behaviors that would make myself stop doing something. I just threw it all away because I was so into this person. I just bought the whole thing. And I also bought the fact that I'd never seen him in person, but he sent me pictures. He sent me video. And so when my sister would ask me about it, I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I haven't talked to him or met him because he's in Cuba, supposedly. And our connections are always really bad. But look at this video he sent me. Look at these pictures he sent me. This can't be fake. I mean, this has to be him. You can't just make that stuff up. Well, my sister and our dear friends and my daughter and her best friend, thank God for them, they saved me, were savvy enough to be able to understand exactly how that is able to happen. So Shelly can talk a little bit more about that. The part that's difficult about a recovery from something like this, which I feel I have made a full recovery and that I don't have shame for myself for 
embarrassment at all is that I was very, very lonely and I just wanted somebody to love me. And there is nothing wrong with that. So anybody that's going through something like this, even if you've lost a lot of money like I did, it's because I just wanted to be loved. And I cannot ever put blame in myself for this because for that simple reason. And life is hard and finding a romantic partner is difficult. And it takes a lot of doing some soul searching and self-awareness, which actually this experience allowed me to really dig deep and dive into. And now I am online dating again. And the platform that I'm on, I've already been able to recognize two individuals that are scammers and they research their profiles and ban them from the site. So I have learned so much through this experience. But the most important thing that I have learned is that I forgave myself and that I refused to give in to shame. So I just want to put that out there. Thank you for sharing that. I want to commend your bravery for not only coming on the podcast, but being so open and willing to share your experience. And I think a lot can be said about how involved and prepared these scammers are in their tactics and how they carry out their schemes. So I think you went through an experience that a lot of other women have gone through or are going through. And to touch on the money that you mentioned, you estimate sending the fraudster $150,000. What tactics did he use to convince you to send this money? Yeah, so a couple of different tactics. So again, this is good information for someone who might be involved with this as a red flag. I sent him cash advances on credit cards which I'd never done before. And he would kind of laugh and say, you haven't been in business like I have, and it's such an easy thing to do. Everybody does this. But I would take a cash advance out from the credit card, and then I would turn it into a cashier's check and then send it to whatever account and address he sent me, which would have been in like Brooklyn and all up and down the East Coast, which is another red flag. Like if someone's asking you to send money and it's a different bank every time, there's probably something wrong there. I also sent him iPhones and iPads to whatever address he had me send them to. So that's part of the 150000 It wasn't all just cash. It was also in these Apple products. But the main way that I would send him money was through cashier's checks that I would go through the bank and they had them fill it out to whatever the account was and send it off that way. And so the back cover of your book describes you as a smart professional and savvy woman. Did you ever think you'd become the victim of a romance scam? When I was online, I had another individual reach out to me and we talked for a while. And he called me one night saying he was in Malaysia, which I knew he said he was going on a business trip and he was in big trouble. He couldn't get to his bank accounts and send him $10,000. I said, are you kidding? Absolutely not. You believe this guy asked me to send him money. I know all about that. I'm not going to send that guy any money. But that wasn't what happened. What happened is it was complete and total emotional immersion on my part for that need for connection. And so I was so bought in and they did such a good job reaching all of my buttons that I threw my caution, my intelligence, my knowledge 
that I knew I was doing something wrong and I denied it. I just pushed it all away because all I wanted was that phone call, that text, that attention, the loving voice telling me how wonderful I was. Like any kind of drug or alcohol, it hit all of those parts of me. And that's what I lived for was that phone call and that voice. It must have been incredibly difficult to eventually accept that this wasn't the real relationship you'd hoped it would be. It was horrible. I was in a place where I needed help to get out of it, but I'm very prideful because like the back of the book says, I was a professional businesswoman. So I have a lot of pride and I had a lot of pride and it was going to be a pretty big fallout of myself. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to handle the fallout from all of this with my entire family, best friends, my daughter, realizing that I had been scammed. It's quite a bit to have to face and accept and then get through. And so the reason why I come on podcasts like this to share is because I do want people to know that when something like this happens, and I have the quote in the front of the book because it means so much to me, about turning your wounds into wisdom is that these people are extremely good at what they do. It doesn't matter if you have a PhD. It doesn't matter if you just went to high school. That's not the point. It's the emotional manipulation where they get you. And that's what happened to me. Now, Shelley, in the book, you describe the process of forming a group called The Squad and reaching out to private investigators as well as the FBI. How successful were these resources in ultimately uncovering the truth? Wow. Actually, as impressive as they sound, they were so unhelpful. The private investigator would go with the information I gave him, name, birth date, and he would find people who were not our scammer, just other random people who the scammer was using their names. But we didn't realize that. We went to the FBI and spoke with an agent, but he could do little to help us. In fact, he suggested we just go to our local police department. So I had pictured the FBI and us boarding an airplane, flying to Nigeria and busting them in the cyber cafe where they were doing all of this. But that got us nowhere. What finally broke the spell was one night I was looking at all the photos Linda had sent me of her guy. And I noticed he was wearing a t-shirt with a logo on it from a gym in LA. And I thought, if this is the real guy, then this gym in LA will know him. So I called and sure enough, he was the manager, the manager of the gym. And then as I came to realize this guy's Instagram profile had been stolen by Linda's scammer. So all of those pictures were fake, but I finally had the evidence, the actual evidence to bring to my sister to show her, look, this is not the man who he says he is. This is an innocent victim in LA who had his Instagram profile stolen. And that's exactly what happened. The next day I got in my car with my mother and my stepfather as backup. And we went to Linda's house and it was the most painful, horrible. I dreaded it with all of my being to have to break this news to her. But that's what happened, and she finally collapsed and seemed to recognize that this guy was just not who he said he was. So were these stolen funds ever recovered, and 
to your knowledge, did the scammer ever receive any consequences for his actions? Interestingly, that afternoon that my sister was just describing, I blocked my phone. But again, this had been going on for months. And just like I did in the very beginning, at the end of it, I did have contact with this individual one more time. And it was during that contact that he, and this is kind of unusual, I don't think this happens all the time, but he literally told me exactly what happened and why he was scamming me and why he felt in the beginning and everything that it was all okay. He didn't get any of the money. He was charged and he had a quota that he had to get out of me by his people. And all of the money was turned into, at least this is what I was told, who knows, but I was told that all of the cash was turned into gold for their gang or whatever you want to call it. Now, I did not recover anything. I still have all of the information, the cashier check numbers and addresses. I don't know if I ever could recover anything, but I do know that, yes, in fact, he was calling and that this particular group was in Nigeria. And all I can tell you is that it's very organized, very structured. I think they even have, to some degree, psychologists involved so that they can tell people exactly what kind of approach a certain person needs like me, a gentle kind of reassuring, a lot of reassurance and talking about the future and all of that. But yeah, of course, I told him I wanted all my effing money back, but he couldn't do anything about it. He was just a worker bee, basically. Right. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, I'm okay. So that's the good news. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is wonderful to hear how you've turned such a tumultuous situation into a learning experience. Reflecting on this incident as a whole, what advice do you both have for others who may find themselves in a similar situation? I think if you have or you suspect that something isn't quite right, to go with your gut because you're probably right. It's not worth it. I got in so deep that in order for me to get out of it and to recover was a lot. It took a lot out of me. If I had just said no in the beginning, I wouldn't have the emotional trauma, battle scars, wounds, both emotionally and financially. They're common. Don't assume that they're not. Whether they are a syndicate like I think I was involved in or someone who's just on their own, just trying to give it a try, don't put a lot of information into your profile. Keep it brief. Number two, do not do anything unless you've actually met a person face to face. Number three, if anybody asks you for anything, whether it's money or can you go to my friend's GoFundMe page or any kind of electronic device, cut it off immediately and report them to whatever site that you're on. And if you do those three simple things, I think it's a really good way to protect yourself. And keep your information confidential to yourself. I guess phone numbers in the dating world, you kind of use your phone to text and to keep the connection. But just be very cautious. There's a lot of bad people out there and all they want is your money. So be very, very careful. And Amanda, I wanted to talk about from a family's point of view or a friend's point of view, if you think that you have a friend who is caught up in something like this, you might as well just think of them as brainwashed, especially if they won't communicate with you. So what I would recommend is number one, be compassionate with them and don't be frustrated or angry or show those sides of your emotions that'll just set you back. And also they say that 
you should talk to them about old memories and conversations that you used to have with them just to help remind them about their life before meeting the scammer. In our case, I had to expose Linda to the facts very brutally. But from what I've read, you want to do it more gently, exposing the person to the facts gently. And of course, you want to be patient and have a group of support, which is what I did. I had Linda's dearest friends and her daughter, and that really helped too, to mitigate the pain and the suffering. Because as Linda said, there was a recovery process and to know that this happened to her in front of her beloved people, but we all rallied around her. And so I think that helped too in the recovery phase. I think a lot can be said for the power of having your friends and family around you during these times of difficulty. Definitely. And I think that part of the recovery process is also to recognize going through grief, because I know for me that probably I hadn't grieved my the end of my marriage properly. And I think that I needed more support after the marriage than I allowed myself to have because for so long it was I was like, oh, I have to get out of this marriage. This is not a good place to be, blah, blah, blah. So when I did get out of it, it's like, okay, well, now life is supposed to be great again, right? Or really great because I'm out. But it wasn't. And so that was another reason why this happened to me because I was so vulnerable. I was lonely. I was desperate for that attention. I wanted to be like my friends and family. They were all married and had good, happy marriages. And I wanted the same. I wanted to be just like them too. So if this was the way that it was going to happen, then that's what the way it was going to be. And in my mind, I was so manipulated and brainwashed to the point where we would talk, my scammer and I, about, can you believe the day when my family actually meets him? Everyone's just going to be so surprised and they're just going to be so amazed at how in love we are and this beautiful life that we've created for ourselves. So, I mean, it just the manipulation and the gaslighting is real in these situations. There's no question about it. I guess the one thing that I would say I agree with Shelley in looking back, it is such a difficult place to be in. And like with anything, if your friends and family around you can show you compassion and not judgment, it's so important because you already know it's already bad enough internally and personally. But then to look at your family and friends in their faces and eyes and see judgment can just be devastating. So it is so important for loved ones to recognize that when someone's going through something like this, it's like any other traumatic kind of, I mean, I keep referring to like drugs and alcohol, like that's how overcome you are and overtaken by this. And the last thing you need is judgment and shame. Right. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story so openly. And I just want to say we wish you the best in all of your future dating endeavors or any other endeavors. Is there anything else either of you would like to add? I just wanted to say that I'm glad that you're bringing up this issue because it just happens thousands of times, millions of times, perhaps a day or years. And there are so many victims, and I know Linda doesn't like that word, who succumb to this, and yet it feels like there's so little being done. There's so little that you can do to get justice in these criminal cases. And that's been very frustrating to me that we haven't been able to haul this guy into court or this Nigerian syndicate, abolish it. But 
I'm just so glad you're putting a spotlight on it. And I just want to thank you for that. Of course. And we hope to see justice brought not only to this situation, but for other women who have gone through similar situations as well. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to realize how sophisticated these groups are. This is not just your homegrown kind of group. They are very, very good at what they do. I also think it's important to kind of put the spotlight on the dating platforms as well to take more responsibility and do a better job at screening because as I said, I'm still single. I'm on a dating platform right now and I've already flagged two people that had reached out to me that in fact the site banned from the site. So it's still going on and it's still out there. So I'd like to see the dating sites themselves do a better job at screening who's on their platforms. And the last thing is, I don't know if this is okay, but my sister and I did write a book about this experience. And if people want more information about what happened to me and to my family and friends and my sister, it is on Amazon and it's called Her King, the Con, because he was the king and I was the queen. And there's a reason that they call you these names, which we found out. But it is a book about how an online love affair led to near disaster. And so I would like to put that out there because that's why we wrote the book. We really hope that maybe we can help other people out there that might be going through something like this and or families that have a loved one that's going through something like this. Of course. Thank you both again so much for joining us today and coming on to share your story. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. For Cybercrime Radio, I'm Amanda Glasner, Deputy Editor at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Lindy Young and Shelley Frost two sisters who co-wrote the book, Her King the Con, How an Online Love Affair Led to Near Disaster. The book tells the story of how Linda was caught up in an online romance scam and how Shelley worked tirelessly not only to help her sister, but also to uncover the identity of the person behind the malicious scheme. Her King the Con, How an Online Love Affair Led to Near Disaster is available for purchase on Amazon and via other major booksellers. For more of our media, visit our website at cybersecurityventures.com.